0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime@vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Steve Pickett. Steve was formerly the CIO of Penske Corporation, as well as Executive Director of the Society for Information Management and the Executive Director of IT at Volkswagen, among numerous other stints in a long career. Steve is currently a partner at Fortium Partners, a consulting firm comprised of former C-level technology leaders. Thanks for the time, Steve.
1: Well, thank you for the interview. This is great, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I agree, we'll definitely have some fun. And in fact, our listeners will recall, I recently interviewed Falk Botha, the head of digital transformation at Volkswagen, a bit of a connection to your past life. I know you spent a fair bit of time at Volkswagen. So let's dive in, maybe start by telling us a little bit more about Fortium Partners. What is Fortium Partners? What do they do?
1: Fortium Partners is a group of uh, ex-CIOs or ex-C-level executives that have decided that they want to help other companies out. Uh, they offer themselves to, to companies to do interim CIO work, uh, special projects, uh, you know, look at uh, due diligence for acquisitions, hmm. and basically the whole gamut of things we used to do as CIOs. Uh, and and the, the key leverage we have in the market is that we're one each in, uh, in all different uh, industries. So you know, we're not all from the same industry. We're, in fact, we're most of us from different industries, so we can really lend ourselves to a, a, a lot of different organizations and lend help in those, those organizations.
0: Interesting. Sometimes it's so, sort of a fractional CIO model. Is that right?
1: Some of it's fractional. Interim is probably more of more what okay. we do uh, where they, someone's lost a CIO or they, they have a, a CIO opening, and we go in and, and try to help them out. But uh, and then there is some fractional work, but uh, and and you know the, the due diligence work is really key, because we can get in, find out what a company's problems are, and then offer our services as interim mm-hmm. uh, after the acquisition's done. So it everything kind of links together.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, the reason I ask is I before I joined Vantic, I was part of another fractional a CMO firm called Chief okay. Outsiders, which is yeah. a very similar model, but on the marketing and product side versus on the technology side. So. I think that model's becoming very popular these days as companies, uh, especially smaller companies, they want the wisdom and experience of guys like you or I, but they maybe can't afford us, or maybe they don't need all of us. Or as you said, a private equity firm just needs some advice on an acquisition. They can get guys like us a lot more easily than they could in the past. Well,
1: with respect to the marketing angle, uh, people used to ask me, how do you get along with your marketing department? And it's an eight step process. Okay. And and it is there were eight steps between my office and the CMO's office, and that's the total pro, you know, the total process. We got along great. So that, I love that, that
0: it. Really I love it. Out. I love it. Well, I'm about maybe ten steps from the CTO's office here, so same same concept. I'm totally with you. Yeah. All right. So this is great. So let's back up a bit. Tell us a bit about your more about yourself and your journey to becoming the CIO of Penske. Uh, you know, obviously a very well known American brand.
1: I kind of surrounded the automobile industry. Uh, I started out uh, with two OEMs, one of which American Motors, which many of your listeners may not even know who they are, uh, and moved to Volkswagen, so I got the international experience. So I had OEM experience in the U.S., OEM experience uh, in, in Europe and Asia, uh, and and leveraged that into an international uh, company that was a supplier to the automobile industry. So I, I moved back a tier uh, but I knew how an OEM thought, I knew how an OEM ran, so it gave me the opportunity to use that uh, to, to, to the best advantage of a supplier. Uh, the only piece missing after that was retail, and that's where I ended up with Penske, and the retail automotive, uh, mm-hmm. they've got dealerships in uh, three different continents, uh, so it, it was a great experience, and and I took my international experience and my OEM experience and my supplier experience and leveraged it into dealer experience, so it's been a It was quite a run, and uh, I had a great time doing it. And and then got a little dabbled in a little bit of the racing on the side, but that was more of a side job than anything else. I never raced a car, but I got to watch them race and and work with the sponsors and things.
0: Penske didn't let you get behind the wheel and take one around Daytona or something?
1: No, no, he he can't do that either. So. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the okay, that publicly makes
1: traded sense. company usually doesn't let their officers get <laughs> into danger like that. Yes, probably. that's probably
0: a good idea. Probably a good idea. Actually, it, it makes me think maybe tell the viewers a little bit more about what the scope of Penske's business is, because I think a lot of people, everybody knows the name, probably mostly from the racing heritage, but they might not actually realize the, the scope of business that Penske does.
1: Well, racing is one of the smaller entities, uh, they've got a, a racing and a private equity entity. Uh, the next tier up, though, is what people probably know Penske from the most, which would be the truck leasing and truck rental business. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yellow trucks with Penske on the side, and that's, yep. that's you know, a, a large company, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. They, they rent trucks uh, in the US and Canada uh, and and, are, you know, lo- and also do some new business in Australia and New Zealand. So it's a, a large logistics and truck rental company. And the next tier up is the uh, the car business, which is car sales. Uh, it's a publicly traded entity, which is kind of interesting. We have privately held entities and publicly traded entities. And with the, those two put together, I, it was a particular challenge for me because sometimes I had to argue with myself. Uh, I wasn't allowed to <laughs> disclose certain things to, to one side of my brain, and I had to disclose the other things to the other side of the brain. So... I had you know, I had a different type of right brain, left brain uh, uh, analysis there. But uh, the, the dealership business uh, is in Europe, uh, the U.S., a little bit in Canada now, uh, and Australia, and New Zealand, uh, moving uh, into Japan recently. So they're they're all over the place with car dealerships. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it it makes it interesting because a car dealership in New Zealand runs completely differently than a. Hmm. a car dealership or a dealership in the U.S. So you had to learn a lot about how to deal with different cultures. And fortunately, I had that from my previous experience. So it was wow. a exciting, wow. exciting company that way.
0: Yeah. What an opportunity to be involved in so many different elements of, of a business. So, so given your background and experience, what most excites you about what's going on at the intersection of business and technology these days?
1: Well, it, it's business and technology. It's uh, the, the businesses are, are more often dealing with the technology uh, through the through the CIO or through the technology group, and it's important that they, they that it's one team. You know, you've got all the oars in the water, and they're all moving in the same direction. and you're not you're not rowing in circles. So if one side of the boat's rowing one way, the other side's rowing the other way, you're going to go in circles very quickly, with respect to you know the the today's uh, business businesses are more and more listening to the technologists and how to how to go to the next level and how to how to make technology pr- productive for them hmm. um, it's it, and I think I think it's an exciting time it's moving very very fast uh, which you, every once in a while you got to tap the brakes because there's things that can go wrong but if you' if you're careful the way you implement things and careful the way you choose your suppliers uh, and you know that's and I do call them suppliers because they help us. Uh, they're, they're supplying things and their partners, uh, mm. they're, they're not necessarily vendors, which sell peanuts on the corner right. side stand or something like that. Right. Right.
0: Well, speaking of then riffing off the speed of business, you were just talking about that, I think is a good segue into digital transformation as a topic. Everybody's on that these days, the speed of, of a business is increasing continuously and therefore businesses want to respond to that rapidly. What does digital transformation mean to you?
1: Well, it, it, digital transformation has always been there, just it, it, not as as widely advertised. You see a, a lot of different transitions occurring. Uh, you know, in the past, you know, look, take to the taxi cab of yesteryear. You know, you had to pay cash for a taxi cab. Well, now you've got Lyft and Uber. Uh, Lyft and Uber were digital, huge digital transitions uh, transformations. They, they they basically took an idea called a Taxi cab collecting cash and turned it into a business where there's no cash involved. Uh, you ordered on the internet, it shows up, uh, a, a huge, you know, digital transformation. Uh, now did those two companies transform? No, they started there. So to catch up with them, there's going to have to be some type of a transformation, uh, taking it, uh, if you are in the taxicab business, you know, I was in a taxi yesterday in Chicago, and they are transforming they were they were there very quickly they've got all the electronics in them now you 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 can play pay with your phone you can right. pay with a credit card uh so they're learning too and uh the, the ones that transform are going to are going to survive the ones that don't won't uh, yeah yeah but again it's everybody's got to be going in the same direction the company has to have a strategy that allows them to move quickly allows them to take advantage of technologies that maybe the management was afraid of five years ago. Um, How how many executives thought that they'd be doing all their business on a cell phone 10 years ago. You know, you know, they, in fact, I can remember 10 years ago having to get the CEO to approve a cell phone for a person because it it was, you know, it was expensive and he didn't know what it was. And, and it went from that to, well, why doesn't, why doesn't everybody have a cell phone now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, communicating with customers, you know, instantaneously. It's, it's, you know, it's a big transformation for any company, e- even though they didn't call it the official digital trans transformation. Uh, they did transform, they did transform the way they do business, uh, because they're doing business quicker, uh, just for, you know, sim- by applying simple technologies.
0: Yeah. Earlier before we started recording, you mentioned that you thought the term digital transformation was being overused.
1: Well, it, yeah, and it, scare, it scares executives, you know, and you, you walk in and you say, well, we're going to use uh, AI and IOT to do a digital transformation. That's usually the end of the discussion. Hmm. Uh, you've got to talk about their business, uh, what their business is doing and what, how you can apply digital technologies to that business to make sure that the business runs more efficiently. And it, it's not a single transformation. You, know, you have to be constantly transforming. It's, it's not something you do and then, then lay it on the shelf and forget about it. It's something you really need to do every day in little pieces. So it, I think it, it, the term is overused as this big, massive project. And, and I really think if you transform every day, you're going to be, you're going to be a, a much more productive company.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think it should be thought of as continuous digital transformation. When people think of, of DX, I think too often they think of one big project that's going to reshape the company. And as we all know, that fails, you know, nine times out of 10 or, or, right. and, or at least takes far too long. Right. So yeah, I, I think you're, you're right on there in my experience. Given your your time at Penske, can you think of any ways that you know that you can discuss where Penske uh, transformed themselves? Some particular ways?
1: Well, the salesman at the car dealership. Um, you know, you used to have to go to the car dealership, talk to a salesman about a car, and 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 walk around and look at the car and then decide which car you wanted. Now, uh, we have you know Penske has some great internet sites. You can find the car that you want on the internet. Uh, Dialogue with a, a salesperson with a chat room. Uh, figure out that you know you want to come over on Tuesday and pick up the car. Uh, exchange documents uh, in some cases with email, the ones that the states allow them to do, and you're in and out of there in no time at all. the they, The old day of of having to spend an afternoon in a car dealership to buy a car is gone because they've used digital technologies. Um, they they are also using uh, you know, tabletop computers. To help with that that whole process, and that you know, instead of the the salesman sitting behind a counter, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking to you and, and typing on a keyboard that you can't see, he's sitting at a table with you that, and the digital table happens to be the, you know, has has the documents on it that you're supposed to read. So, you know, they they've, they've transformed significantly in the in the car dealership business.
0: Hmm. Very, yeah, that's absolutely true. And thank goodness, I, I don't like to go into a car dealership to get my stuff done there. I want to do it all online, all remotely, and literally go in and pick up the car from the dealer. That's all I want to do in there, which is what happened the last time I was in one. So that's a really great transformation. No no doubt about it. Saving or, money.
1: or if you have a question about a, a particular vehicle, right. you're not sure you know, what kind of performance you're going to get out of an engine. There's a chat room. And, and all these dealerships now have experts. Uh, they're not necessarily salespeople, but mm. they're in the sales showroom that have special training on the vehicles and know a lot of, a lot about the vehicle and can and help you make your decision uh, on a, uh, you, know, I guess, uh, you know, like a pa- my paint scheme on my, uh, the car yep. that I recently got. Uh, it, you know, on the internet, it looked kind of green and looked kind of gray. And so I chatted with somebody and they said, well, that's British racing green. Well, uh, end you know, a decision. That's the one I want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, yep. That's that's very very interesting. Yeah, not not everybody's a salesperson in this new model, and most of the selling probably happens even before you get anywhere near the the dealership. So,
1: and it yeah. has to do with the the, the breadth of your website. You know, how much right. how much content you have on that the customer wants to see.
0: Yeah. Now, you talked a few minutes ago about Uber and, and Lyft transforming the taxi industry. Part of the way they fundamentally did that is turning that business into a real-time business. Uh, we think of, of turning things into you know, using a real-time model as sort of key to digital transformation. Do you agree with that concept? Do you think the world is becoming more real-time the world of business?
1: Well, I'm going to transition you once again and that you know, what they're doing really is a blockchain and that they have information about the customer, they have information about the driver, they have information about the city, and they link all those together in one area so that the customer is communicating with a driver who, who happens to have a way of getting paid uh, through the company. So it, it's it's really you know a, an interesting way of doing blockchain. Now, they're not using uh, you know, public blockchain, they're using their own, but but they have access to credit cards through a special, you know, yeah. digital contract, so to speak. They didn't I didn't have to sign a contract with them. They have a digital contract with the driver and they have a significant knowledge about the city so that when the driver has to go from point A to point B, they know how far it is. So they, you know, that the transaction occurs without you having to approve it again.
0: Yeah. It is amazing. A lot of the core technologies that are underpinning these super easy to use services that we don't even think about. Yeah. 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 Actually flipping to another part of Penske's business. We were also talking earlier about how the racing, uh, executing a race has become very much a data driven real time, real time business. You want to touch on that a little bit?
1: Well, if you're watching TV and you're watching the IndyCar or you're watching F1 or you're watching NASCAR, particularly F1 and and IndyCar, uh, the engineers back at the shop know a lot more about what's going on in the car than they did in the past. So the engineer back at the shop is watching monitors and can tell the driver that it looks like you've got a problem with your right front tire. Can you drive it a little easier through the corners so you don't damage your right front tire? So that instant communication and the engineer is not sitting there watching the, the race he's back in his, his home in, hmm. in uh, North Carolina just you know watching monitors uh, it happens quite often uh, and, and if the, if you know they're communicating with the driver and the driver doesn't like the way the car is running they can tell them different things to dial different things to, to try to make the car run better hmm. uh, now leveraging that knowledge and leveraging that way of doing business into the regular business you know we, we've always said doing business at the at the speed of a 14 second pit stop you know that's you know the the mantra of the penske organization with absolute you know quality but at the speed of a pit stop and uh, it's, it's been uh you know that and that really did occur
0: Huh. That's a great concept, and you've given me the title for this uh, post of Vantic TV. So that's uh, that's definitely a, that's a, a great a great idea. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, although it relates to the example you just gave, we talk a lot about humans, human machine collaboration, people, and increasingly intelligent systems working together collaboratively. There's obviously a lot of discussion about. AI these days. What, what's your thought on, on sort of the future of artificial intelligence and how that might affect uh, business and the role of people in business?
1: Well, the, the, uh, today, artificial intelligence is obviously in this embryonic stage. Uh, and, and what people don't realize is that, you know, there's a learning process involved with it. And if you can write an AI program. Well, you've got to teach it or it's not going to be, inte- it's not going to be intelligent. And it's certainly not going to be artificial. Uh, so, the teaching processes, the amount of data that you have to give to the, 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 uh, the engine uh, is significant. Uh, I think they've, they've created a new term, zetabytes or something like that. I don't even right. I, I have no idea how much that is. But, but taking you know, just an example, if you want to teach uh, an AI program what a crack is, you have to show it terabytes and terabytes of data that looks like a crack. And then you have to look at what it did with it and a human being has to decide whether it figured it out correctly or not. Um, now, maybe it figured something else out that you didn't know about, and that's the you know that's the key. Or the human being's gonna say, no, you, you got it wrong. Well, the AI program might have gotten it right, and the human knowledge about what it was looking at and how it was looking at it might be the incorrect thing. So right. it, it's gonna take some time to, to understand this, uh, but there are great AI applications that I've heard about. You know. pricing of rental cars. Uh, It's an instantaneous thing. Um, If you take a a customer that's walking up to the rental car counter, uh, the logic behind the price they're going to offer them might have occurred 10 minutes before based on Mm -hmm. inventories that they see in the parking lots, based on the number of people flying in that day. Uh, You can change your prices pretty quickly if you've got an AI program that has all that data. Yeah, uh, and, and can properly analyze it. I uh, can properly not not properly analyze it, and you offer the customer a price he doesn't like, and he walk next door. Uh, yeah. So there there are real live applications doing that today, uh, and then there are AI applications, particularly in quality control, where a, a, a particular uh, AI application is looking at a camera, and a and a tray of uh, items are going are flying below it, and it's finding defects in those. Uh, maybe, but, um, you know, yeah. the, again, the human's going to look at something and say, I don't know what's wrong with it, but it just doesn't look right. Where an AI program has to know exactly what's wrong with it. And, and that's where I think, you know, the AI is going to take a while to, to, to figure out how to do things. And, yeah. and when AI programs are telling us things that we don't know, that's when artificial intelligence is going to kick in properly. Mm-hmm. And and then we have to listen to it. It's like anything else. You know, they they tell us that there's a paint defect and we look at it and say, it looks fine to me. Yeah. Well, you have to believe them that the, you know, the AI program found a paint defect. Hmm. I think there's a lot of applications in quality control initially. Hmm. Uh, I don't think it's going to be able to chat with customers for a while. Uh, I think that the the people that have experimented with that are indicating that they're 95% there, but. That other five percent is what customers hang up for, right? And, right, and it's right. going to take some time to to, to get there.
0: Yeah, I, I fundamentally agree. I think AI or machine learning being applied to very particular use cases and scenarios makes a lot of sense and can and is absolutely adding value even today. But this notion of generalized. AI system, which is going to, you know, do everything or be as intelligent as people in every way in every circumstances, you know, a long, long way off if, if ever. So, and maybe that's a good, uh, a good segue into the next section. So I always ask my guests, if there's a, you know, a part of technology or business conventional wisdom that you think you could, you'd like to call BS on, where you know, most of the people are thinking X and, and you think Y. So what, what would that be in your case?
1: Well, I, I'm gonna take Internet
0: of Things. <sighs> the first one, you're the first one to use IoT as an example. All right, let's hear it. What's your, well, what's your and, and,
1: and I'm gonna take a hospital example. Um, you know, I, uh, let's pretend that I have a heart issue and I go in and have a, 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 uh, a heart monitor put in and the doctor does a really good job of putting it in and it's an it's internet of things device and they're it's programmable with Bluetooth and, and I'm doing fine and, uh, and then I have an ear issue. So I go to a different doctor and have a similar thing put in for my ear and then I go to a third doctor and have a similar put in thing to, to correct some vision and all three of them are operating correctly together. Um, the ear guy realizes that he's made a programming error and wants to download code to reprogram the ear device that screws up my heart device and turns me blind, which is a real, real, live, you know, real live scenario and that no one is, is looking at these things from a, an interoperability standpoint and in that uh, you know, where did you install the device? Uh, who's keeping track of them? What's the the serialization of them? Uh, how do they, uh, you know, how are you going to keep track of the software levels? And then, you know, do the software levels of one operate with the software levels of another? And and I'm really concerned that we're talking e- uh, uh, Internet of Things, but we're not man. We haven't learned how to manage the things yet, uh, and and so that you know, it, you know, if you have, uh, you know. 5,000 devices in a building and you, and somebody comes along and says, you, you know, you have to update the software on one of them or one set of them. How does that affect the other set of them and how is it going to impact it? And I don't, you know, we, we, we didn't figure that out when we first put PCs in, they all you know, yep. conflicted with each other. And I'm really afraid that with IOT, we've got the same issue because we don't have the management software to manage the volumes of things and, and push, uh, software updates to these things. Uh, I don't think anybody's figured it out.
0: Yeah, that's a, definitely a key challenge out there, and and I agree. It's about or, you know managing and orchestrating the connections between these different devices and different and different systems of devices. In fact, so uh, now I think that that is definitely a key challenge that has to be overcome for IoT to really achieve its potential, either in the consumer side or on the industrial IoT side.
1: Yeah. Or, or what's the impact of a hacker coming in and deciding that he wants to shut a building down? And all he's got to do is, you know, as, proved, as we proved with Target, he's just got to get into one device and find a, a vulnerability in one device. And these are all manufactured by all kinds of different people. So the, you know, it's, it's the, the one device that was manufactured by a substandard uh, programming house that the hacker's gonna get into and uh, we're gonna have a situation where he's gonna shut a building down or shut a company down. Right, um, right. Relatively yeah. easily.
0: It, the next decade is gonna have a lot of interesting experiences in it, I think, as we yeah. begin to see that boom in, in connected devices and IoT devices. No doubt we're gonna see some examples exactly like that. Yeah. So leaving the next decade out, how about 2019? Any specific predictions for 2019, either on the business or technology side?
1: Well, most CIOs haven't been stressed since since really 2009. It's been grow, 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 more, more, more. Uh, And and I think that we're likely to see a little bit of a stress period in 2019. And we'll see how they perform. Uh, By stress
0: period, you mean a downturn in the economy? (laughs) A
1: downturn in the economy. Uh, Maybe not all segments of the economy, but many of them. And then when that downturn occurs, the good CIOs are going to figure out how to continue to do their projects and 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 save money in other areas and continue to encourage management to continue. Uh, the CIOs that that have been in, you know loving this grow, grow, grow period that have never been through a, re- a downturn, never been through a recession, never been through a, a, a scenario where you've got to say goodbye to people, uh, you know, we're going to see who the good guys are. And, uh, and, you know, those are the lessons you have to learn throughout your career. And, you know, if if you've never experienced them, they're tough times. And, uh, you know, the tough times, they're going to happen. And if you're not ready for it, then, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to step up to it and either figure it out quickly, or they're gonna have to go get somebody else that has figured it out before. Yep.
0: Yep. Well, of course, I think on the one hand we all hope that kind of downturn isn't going to happen in twenty nineteen, but we know business cycles or business cycles and economic cycles happen. It's inevitable. So, yeah. you're right. We we have to be ready. And you know, and I think the the smart and the agile will actually take advantage of that as as a time to leapfrog ahead of competitors that aren't able to deal with it as quickly. Right. Well,
1: they they should have a plan in the back of their head already. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And if you're if you are ignoring it, then you know that's you know ignorance is is, is bliss, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it, but it, it's not if you're in the you know in, in a environment where your people are counting on you to do your job. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so if you if you have a strategy, if you have a plan, then uh, you you can take advantage of the you know that knowledge and uh, operate a lot better without getting into panic mode. Yeah.
0: Well, and that sounds like a good uh, a good way of summing up some advice for you know business or technology leaders that want to drive that kind of transformation,
1: right? Well, in in any scenario, have energy and show it. You know, show people that you're excited about things. Even in a downturn, you can be yep. excited about getting things done properly. And and if you if you show that, and if your outer face is is I, I'm going to get the job done, uh, then you're going to be a lot more successful than if you say, you know, if you're, oh no, we've got to have another headcount reduction. It's right. I'll figure it out and, and we're going to figure out how to do your projects at the same time.
0: All right. Well, I think that makes perfect sense. And, uh, and I think that actually wraps it for us. So Steve, yeah, thanks so much great. for joining us today. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: It was great. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: Okay. And those interested in hearing more of Steve's thoughts can visit his profile on LinkedIn and also check out fortiumpartners.com. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtime@vantic.com. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.